I think these workers are saying, you know, enough is enough and we're not going to take it. Forming unions, walking off the job. American workers flex their muscle next on A Third of Your Life. You spend a third of your life at work. We're all about making it better. This is the Rutgers School of Management and Labor Relations podcast. What a year for the labor movement, rising public support for unions, major organizing victories, and now thousands of workers going on strike heading into the crucial midterm elections. Welcome to A Third of Your Life. My name is Steve Flemish, and my guest today is Rebecca Collins-Given, an associate professor in the Rutgers School of Management and Labor Relations. Becky, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. What is going on in the American workplace? Why is all of this happening now? I think there's a few things that have led us to this moment. I think um, working through the pandemic, a lot of people felt like their bosses didn't care about them, didn't handle the pandemic well, whether we're talking about you know health and safety issues or battles over remote work versus returning to the office. A lot of people um, had new insight into uh, whether their employer cared about them at all. And that's been coupled with a very tight labor market where it's easy for workers to leave and go get a job somewhere else. And when they're thinking about organizing rather than leaving, when they don't have to fear losing their job because they know it's pretty easy to go and find another job, that changes the calculation and makes workers more likely to organize. A Gallup poll released right before Labor Day revealed 71% of Americans approve of unions. That's the highest approval rating since 1965. Yet union membership has been low for decades, only about 10% nationally last year. Becky, if most Americans like unions, why is membership still so low? It's really difficult to organize a union. Most people either work in a unionized workplace or a non-unionized workplace already, and they don't experience any change. So for most people, that's a non-unionized workplace. And they uh, don't really feel the ability to go out and organize. Organizing is hard. The law is really stacked against workers who want to unionize. Employers really have the upper hand. They have more resources um, and they have the support of the law in doing uh, a lot of things and throwing resources into an anti-union campaign. So it's really, really difficult to make a non-union job into a unionized job. In spite of those challenges, we've had a year of really significant organizing victories. Amazon was the big headline grabber early in the year, with Amazon Labor Union winning its first election at a warehouse in Staten Island. And we had that iconic image of ALU President Christian Smalls popping the cork on a bottle of champagne. The union lost the second election in Staten Island, but now we're heading for another election, this time in upstate New York at an Amazon warehouse in Albany. What do you expect will happen with that one? It's hard to predict, uh, but the odds are always stacked against the union. These are very, very high turnover workplaces where most workers don't stick around long enough to form strong relationships with each other. And they're facing an all-out assault in terms of the anti-union campaign that they hear from the employer. So Amazon has mandatory meetings. Uh, They hold them all day long. Most workers will uh, listen to multiple sessions of about a half an hour a piece telling them why they should be fearful of unionizing, telling them that there are a lot of downsides, trying to sow fear, uncertainty, and doubt in their minds. So it's very, very difficult to have a successful organizing drive in an atmosphere like that. 
a few months ago, we were hearing that traditional labor unions might have to adjust their strategy to emulate ALU's success. Have you seen any evidence of that, or is it still business as usual for the heavy hitters? I think unions are trying a lot of different things, and they, and they always and they always have tried a lot of different things. I think there's not a single path to a successful organizing drive. Uh, some of the recent organizing has been uh, affiliated with uh, big longstanding unions, and some of it has been independent. Let's talk about Starbucks now. More than 200 unionized Starbucks stores all across the country, a huge number. Did you see that coming? I don't think anybody saw it coming. I certainly didn't see it coming. Uh, It's very impressive uh, to organize so many separate workplaces uh, and sort of really build uh, this, this powerful wave. And yet against the backdrop of those successes, we're hearing more and more about allegations of union busting. Starbucks Workers United says the company has fired dozens of union leaders. If that allegation is true, how do they get away with it? And is it scaring off workers in other stores who may be thinking of organizing? I'm sure the intended effect is to scare workers and to create a sort of chilling effect so workers are less inclined to organize. The problem with current labor law is that it's very slow and the National Labor Relations Board that administers the law is really underfunded and understaffed. So it's hard to move quickly on allegations like this. Um, If Starbucks is in fact found to have uh, illegally fired these these workers that were organizing, the penalty they pay will be relatively minimal, essentially reinstating the workers with with back pay for the time they were away. That's not really a significant enough penalty to deter them from doing it again. If it creates a chilling effect successfully, they may decide to keep on doing it. And even if they lose uh, those legal cases, that might be a price they're willing to pay. This year, we also had the first Apple store unionize in Maryland, the first Chipotle in Michigan, two Trader Joe's in Massachusetts and Minnesota. We even had the first union victory in a congressional office. Michigan Congressman Andy Levenstaff voted unanimously to join a union. When you look at the totality of union success in 2022, which is the most earth-shattering union victory? Which one really stands out to you? It's hard to pick one, but I think the Amazon Labor Union in Staten Island, to organize a workplace that's that large, where you have to gain the support of literally thousands of workers, which means thousands of one-on-one conversations, That is really difficult in any large workplace. And then when you think about a workplace where turnover is so high and many of the workers have not been there for very long, that's another huge hurdle. So I I think I'd probably say that the Amazon victory in Staten Island uh, is, is perhaps the most surprising. Becky, how much of this is driven by workers who are fed up and how much is driven by unions sensing an opportunity? Noam Scheiber, the labor reporter at the New York Times, reported unions salted Amazon and Starbucks, sending workers there to apply for jobs with the goal of forming a union. Do you think that's the case with a lot of these organizing victories? I think the lines are really blurred. I think young workers now are really um, more aware of what unions are and the the ways they might organize their workplaces. I think there are a lot of young workers out there who say, Wherever I work, I would consider trying to organize. And maybe because I'm seeing, for example, Starbucks or Amazon 
uh, having these these waves, maybe I'll apply for a job in one of the, in one of those uh, workplaces rather than somewhere else. Um, but I also think that they're workers too, right? So if they got a job there intentionally, they also do want to organize. And I also think um, in Staten Island and Amazon, there were uh, a few workers, although the, the key leaders that are most visible, Chris Smalls and, and Derek Palmer, were long longtime uh, Amazon workers. Um, but you don't win without getting the support of all kinds of workers. What's next? What is the next industry where we will see organizing activity, maybe the next company that will be targeted by unions? Um, well, I'm not very good at predicting, but I think we can see certain types of, of workplaces. Um, I think in the same category as Starbucks, we have uh, places like Trader Joe's, the Apple stores, REI, the, uh, the outdoor uh, retailer, places with a sort of progressive veneer that have really attracted a lot of young workers, many of them college educated, many of them who feel an affinity with the sort of ideals and values that the company puts forward. Um, I think we can see more brands like that uh, facing organizing drives. What about Walmart? Why haven't we seen a unionization effort there in recent years? And do you think we will? I think um, previous attempts to unionize at Walmart were really met with sort of brutal anti-union uh, anti uh, campaigns by Walmart. And I don't think uh, we can rule anything out in, in any, uh, any company or industry, but I think um, the uh, geographic locations of Walmart, which are primarily uh, in the South, in rural areas, it's not as concentrated in cities uh, where, for example, Starbucks organizing has been quite successful, uh, or in blue states or in heavily unionized states. That all uh, weighs a little bit against organizing there. It doesn't mean it's impossible or that we won't see it, but it's maybe not uh, top of the list of who's next. This time last year, we were heading into Striketober. Workers at John Deere, Kellogg's, and elsewhere walking off the job over wages, benefits, and working conditions. And now strike activity is on the rise again, notably in two areas you've studied, healthcare and education. Let's start with healthcare. 15,000 nurses in Minnesota going on strike for three days in September, demanding higher wages and safe staffing. The union called it the largest nurse strike in U.S. history. What did they accomplish, and do you think we will see more of this? Well, we don't know what they accomplished yet because they haven't settled those contracts, but they certainly brought a lot of uh, attention and public support to their campaign, which was primarily about having sufficient staffing in, pl in place to uh, provide quality patient care. Um, we're seeing strikes, not just at many Starbucks stores, but in all kinds of workplaces. So museums, um, continuing to see strikes in K through 12 schools, some higher education strikes. I think we will continue to see uh, strikes in, in multiple different sectors. And I think when people hear about strikes, particularly successful strikes, um, it makes uh, the next strike in a different workplace more likely. You mentioned public schools. We're a few years removed from the red for ed strikes that swept the country, but we saw 6,000 teachers and staff strike in Seattle and 4,500 in Columbus, Ohio. Do you think it's starting all over again? I do think so. I think uh, teachers uh, and other education workers are feeling particularly disrespected. They've had a really, really hard time 
uh, working through the pandemic. They're under attack politically in terms of the content of, of their teaching and their ability to choose their own books and set their own curriculum. Meanwhile, because working through the pandemic was so demoralizing, many teachers have left or retired. And so in many places, there's a pretty severe shortage, which means that the workers that are there are having to work much harder just to keep up and just to educate the kids. So I think uh, the atmosphere is really ripe for more collective action. We've seen strikes in other sectors as well. About 1,000 workers at San Francisco International Airport went on strike in late September, demanding higher pay. The union Unite Here Local 2 warned travelers to bring their own food because the airport's restaurants, bars, and coffee shops would be closed. The hospitality industry took such a hit during the pandemic. Uh, Becky, do you think resentment is just bubbling up to the surface now? I do think so. I think, you know, hospitality closed down and many workers faced layoffs and unemployment. And then when it uh, when it started to reopen for many workers, it was an extremely unsafe environment with really high levels of COVID exposure and uh, and illness. And um, I think these workers are saying, you know, enough is enough. Uh, You're depending on us, especially somewhere like an airport. And we're not gonna we're not gonna take it. And again, the tight labor market helps if uh, if they act collectively, they can really they can really assert a lot of power because they aren't very easily replaceable. Arguably, the biggest strike news in recent months involved one that did not happen: an eleventh-hour deal to avert a rail strike. But it sounds like rank-and-file members are not totally happy with the agreement their leaders hammered out. Is that becoming more common? Uh, It's hard to assess the total numbers, but it was certainly something we saw last year with the striketober strikes and something that will perhaps continue where uh, workers will demand more. And especially if they've been on strike, they'll say we're not going to settle for a contract that's just okay or that feels concessionary. Uh, We're going to we're going to demand that what we needed all along is actually met. We're not willing to compromise. And in the case of the rail workers, Uh, what they're being asked to compromise on is significant. It's about the ability to, for example, go to the doctor without being penalized. So that one is heading for a ratification vote, and we will have to wait to see the outcome. We could be heading for an even bigger strike next year. The new president of the Teamsters, Sean O'Brien, is taking a tough stance in negotiations with UPS. More than 350,000 drivers and package handlers could walk off the job, What is the key issue in that negotiation? The UPS issues have to do with pay, especially pay and uh, and job security and other provisions for part timers, uh, but also uh, some working conditions issues. So right now, especially in time of climate change, the exposure to heat is through a greater and greater part of the year so that the UPS trucks are hot. The workers are not getting sufficient break times, and they want to make sure that their that their working conditions prioritize safety, not just speed and profit. Shifting gears, the midterms are coming up. How does the balance of power on Capitol Hill affect the labor movement? The labor movement would love some legislation to reset the balance and tip things slightly less uh, in the direction of employers, and they've uh, they've been promoting various pieces of legislation in recent years. If they could win a clear majority uh, that could move legislation, uh, 
in in the Senate and the House. That means over sixty votes. They they have some they have some ideas about what they what they like to achieve, but that's probably not realistic. So for now, they look to, for example, the executive branch and things like appointments to the National Labor Relations Board, and uh, rulemaking and more more uh, technical pieces of. Uh, of the uh, state apparatus to, to try to get uh, the climate to be just slightly more favorable to workers. I'd like to talk about the demographics of unions. It seems like the labor movement is getting younger and more diverse. Women, people of color, LGBTQ plus workers. How does that change the equation? Yeah, I think that uh, the labor movement is getting more diverse and labor leaders are gradually getting more diverse. So we do have uh, many uh, labor leaders who are not white, who uh, are queer, um, and I think that does change things. I think the typical union worker is not, you know, an older white male steel worker or mine worker, but, you know, perhaps a home health aide, a woman of color, an immigrant woman, um, and that's the reality of who working people are, and that's the reality of who's in unions. The biggest unions are teachers unions, which are, you know, predominantly female. When the story of this period is written, when historians and future professors look back on what happened in the labor movement between 2018 and 2022, what will resonate the most? What will students be learning about this moment in the history of work? I think one of the things that will be most significant will be young workers organizing. So some of these big victories uh, especially in places like Starbucks and Amazon, are really led by young workers who are excited to improve their working conditions, are excited to organize, are learning about the nuts and bolts of organizing. And that energy and those skills are really spreading. So I think the uh, importance of young workers in this moment is really is really going to have a lasting impact. Rebecca Collins-Given, Associate Professor in the Rutgers School of Management and Labor Relations, thanks for joining us on A Third of Your Life. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to A Third of Your Life, the Rutgers School of Management and Labor Relations podcast. For more information on our academic programs, faculty, and research, visit smlr.rutgers.edu.